0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Another parable Jesus put before the crowds. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. They gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun, in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. The gospel of the Lord.
1: In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Wonderful to see you all here. I believe this is probably the last time I will be able to preach. In front of you, Um, I will be around for another few weeks. I leave for Portland, August 21st. When I was 16 years old, I had a long and extremely vivid dream. Unlike any dream I'd ever had before, and it changed the course of my life up to the present day. Even to this day, that dream acts as kind of like my North Star guiding my decisions. In fact, my decision to move to Portland uh, for a new job at the end of the summer is deeply connected to that dream I had 45 years ago as a boy. I'll spare you the details of the dream, except to let you know that it involved an enormous white horse who was given to me by a friendly elderly priest who said, He's yours now. The horse was the living image of my own soul, alive with the power of God. I woke up from this dream weeping with joy, joy that this God had appeared to me and taught me who I was. That summer, I set out hitchhiking, took a trip from Minnesota to out here to California and then up north to Oregon in search of the answer to the question, is there really a God? Because it's one thing to have a dream of God. It's another thing to be convinced that it's not just a figment of your imagination, but in fact, actually real. I figured that if there was no God, that was fine. I could go on and be a doctor like my dad, or a journalist like my mom. But if there was really a God, well, I couldn't figure out what to do with my life except to devote my life, heart and soul and strength to this amazing reality. Really? There's a God? What else are you going to do? Well, that's the power that dreams can have. And so I was on a lonely highway in Oregon uh, some months later, and I got bowled over by this unearthly energy that completely convinced me that there was some some kind of divine force running through my life. The Bible, of course, is full of stories of people having dreams. Most of those dreams are presented as prophetic, you know. They tell the future. Joseph, of course, being the most famous for his ability to predict the future through his dreams, which made him the second most powerful man in Egypt. But there's another kind of dream that you find in the Bible, not the kind that tells the future, but rather the kind that opens up a channel of communication between the dreamer and God. That was the kind of dream that we hear about this morning with Jacob. The significance of his dream is not so much that it predicts his future, although it does that, but more it helps Jacob encounter God's dream for him. He sees himself through God's eyes. He learns who he is from God's perspective. That he is deeply blessed, deeply loved, deeply cared for by the most powerful force in the universe. And for no good reason at all, other than that God simply chooses to love him. Because, you know, if we look at Jacob through human eyes, it's not the prettiest sight in the world, right? I mean, Jacob is something of a con artist, really, we all know that cheating his brother out of his birthright and his father's blessing. I'm sure that in his own eyes, Jacob wasn't so happy with himself, didn't like what he saw very much. And so now he's traveling alone. He's on an errand given him by his father to go off to the land of Haran to find a wife. He comes to this isolated place late at night. He lays down to sleep. Uses a stone for a pillow because that's just how tough they were back then. And he dreams of this ladder reaching all the way to heaven and angels ascending and descending on it. And then, in the beautiful language of Genesis, God comes and stands beside him. I just have this image of God just kind of sauntering over and putting his arm around you. They're both kind of looking at this ladder. And God introduces himself and blesses him. To those of us who want to think that religion is all about living by the rules, to those of us who want to think that God's favor can be won by winning the niceness competition, this story should put that notion to bed forever. Because this isn't about who's most deserving of God's blessing. It's about the nature of divine reality itself, which is nothing but blessing, promiscuous, undeserved, completely gratuitous blessing. And it's about the nature of dreams, which is that they sometimes establish a connection to the divine, the one who comes to us with a single message. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. We all know dreams are very strange things. Scientists still don't understand them. There's all kinds of interesting research into the neuroscience of dreams, but these days, you know, we don't talk so much about the ways in which our dreams speak the language of our souls and teach us about our souls. It's been through dreams that I've realized how much I long for God. It's been through dreams that I've found a purpose for my life that's connected to the very core of who I am. It's through dreams that I've been reminded of how at the very heart of my existence, there is this constant voice of blessing. But as a society, we've gotten away from the language of dreams lately. I don't think that's a good thing. My son sent me this beautiful, insightful article in Dissent Magazine about how those on the political left of our country have forsaken the language of dreams for the language of preferences. They run their political campaigns through careful focus group research and meticulous measurements of everyone's political preferences They're trying to sew together a patchwork quilt of constituents who more or less share a compatible set of interests, but they no longer speak the unifying language of the soul, of dreams. The article makes an argument for progressives to regain what's been sacrificed on the altar of the secular society, which is its religious imagination. To begin speaking again the language of our sacred dreams and our deepest hopes. Quoting a brilliant theologian who used to teach at my alma mater, University of Chicago, Martin Luther King didn't have a preference. He had a dream, right? I wonder what's happened to our dreams. Do we no longer trust them? When's the last time you went to a therapist and were invited to talk about your dreams? It almost never happens anymore. It's as if we no longer even trust our dreams. But to me, it's our dreams that make us human. It's our dreams that remind us of who we are and what we long for, what we dare to imagine. Our politicians have become so enamored of polling data and market research that they've forgotten the power of dreams to connect us to our deepest sense of who we are and why we're alive and what we have to get done before we die. Those are the questions that are answered in dreams. And of course, we don't need to swim in these waters very long before we remember that the power of Dr. King's dream was not that it was Dr. King's dream, right? The power of that dream comes from the fact that it was God's dream for us. It was God's dream that he was sharing. That's why we responded to it so profoundly. In dreams, we remember what God dreams for us. Where would we we be as a society? without the dream of a just society found in Isaiah and in Amos and in Jesus? Where would we be without our dreams? Before she died, my mom um, was living in a nursing home for 10 years in a very slow, horrible decline from multiple sclerosis. And during that time, which was quite awful, because she had been a journalist. Uh, She was well-known in Minneapolis, St. Paul, as a journalist. And she was a brilliant pianist as well. And then she went through this horrible decline to the point where she couldn't get out of a wheelchair, and then she couldn't get out of bed. During that time, I used to have a dream about her. I would see her in a field full of wildflowers, and she would be leaping and dancing through the grass. I told my sister that once, and she said, I've been having the same dream. It was as if God was reminding us of who our mom really was, not to see her as the very pathetic and vulnerable woman in a bed, but poor her soul, which was still dancing in a field. When I visit, I, I, I'm a chaplain at the hospital in, in the city that's located in the Mission District. We get a lot of homeless people. And I find that I'm I'm praying for them a lot these days. They come into the hospital with most wretched of conditions but as i pray for them i find a voice inside of me that begins to reshape who they are in my mind and they become whole they become human beings again and i'm able to visit with them and find that wholeness and reflect that back to them and that is an incredible gift it's a gift that comes through prayer, and prayer is a form of waking dream in the presence of God. So I invite you uh, to reacquaint yourself if, you, if you've lost touch, as I do sometimes, with your own dream life. Before you go to bed, maybe say a prayer. Say to God, hey, visit me in a dream tonight. See what happens. You might just find, as I have, uh, a renewed purpose for life itself. May it be so for you as it has been for me. Amen. Mm -hmm.